I'd like to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Fleischer. He's the professor of dermatology at Wake Forest University School of Medicine and co-director of the Center for Dermatology Research. He also is executive director of dermatology at MERS Pharmaceuticals. He trained as an undergraduate, a medical student at University of Missouri-Columbia. His residency and chief residency training in dermatology was completed at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, whereupon he joined the faculty at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. He's also published dermatology textbooks, five of them, and over 280 peer-reviewed articles. He has presented results from his research and medical care throughout the United States and on multiple other continents. Since 2000, he was selected by his peers as one of the best doctors in America. Please help me in welcoming Dr. Fleischer. Great. Thanks, Gina. I really appreciate it. Um, so I'm going to talk this morning a little bit about sun protection. And, and uh, this is not going to be a standard sunscreen talk. It's going to be more what I would call public healthy. Um, you know, they're earth earthy, crunchy. So, you know, in public health, people look to do preventative medicine. Our friends in pedi pediatrics have done more than anyone else in terms of preventative medicine, you know, with vaccines and healthy lifestyles and behaviors for kids. But, you know, preventative medicine does not die at the end of childhood and, and actually continues going forward. So I'm going to just speak about the idea of sun protection a little bit more globally. Um, and I have uh, conflicts of interest. However, none are relevant. Um, I've never done any studies for um, uh, sunscreens or you know, hats or anything else. Um, well, by the end of this lecture, I hope to dispel a few myths. You know, a myth is something that is widely held to be true, but is not true. Um, uh, so for instance, number one, as long as you don't burn, you do no damage. And almost everybody in the United States believes that. Sunburn causes terrible harm, it's evil, and if I just don't sunburn, I'm, burn, I'm fine. Um, and of course, people use sunscreen the way that they're supposed to. Um, Next, sunscreens provide adequate solar protection, another myth. And then last, um, uh, sunscreen use ensures rickets and bone loss, uh, guaranteed, absolutely. So, uh, oh, by the way, tans are very protective for skin cancers. So, um, Australia is the skin cancer capital of the world. Um, so what happened in the history of Australia? A bunch of folks with the worst skin in the world, England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, went to Australia, which has the highest recorded ultraviolet intensity in the world, and what do you know? Um, they get skin cancer. And uh, Australia, um, much of it is uh, uh, desert. Uh, the UV intensity, again, is the highest in the world. Now, Australia is a little different than the United States in a lot of ways. One is that there's a single-payer healthcare system. And um, skin cancer is regarded as a priority for prevention in Australia. In the United States, nobody gives a hoot about skin cancer. You know, if you go to a, a classroom in the United States, every on every teacher's desk, you know, there's a big pump bottle of Purell. In, 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 in Australia, it's sunscreen. In schools in Australia, 
kiddos are prohibited from going outside during the school day without a PE hat. A PE hat, you know, is designed to protect them from the sunshine. By contrast, I remember having a, a conversation with my daughter Sarah when she was going to a full day uh, outside at the North Carolina Zoo, where Sarah, get your hat. Dad, I can't, it's against the rules. Now that's warped. That is absolutely warped. So back to Australia, um, you know, they had one of their successful uh, campaigns, which was the slip, slop, slap campaign. Slip on a shirt, slop on sunscreen, slap on a hat. Notice that sunscreen is just one component. Um, uh, and in fact, they've extended that slip, slop, slap, seek, slide, which is seek, shade, and slide on sunglasses. Uh, so um, uh, this is, again, an issue of national priority for Australia. Now, who cares about skin cancer? This is United States data from the most recently available year, 2011, from the cancer facts and figures from the American Cancer Society. If you look at the number of non-melanoma skin cancers versus all other cancers, uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, brain cancer, everything else, there are more non-melanoma skin cancers than anything else. Um, this is not exactly a trivial thing. And just so we're speaking the right language and communicating, we've got UVA and we've got UVB. UVA is long wavelength ultraviolet light that is close to the visible spectrum. UVB is short wavelength ultraviolet light that is further from the visible spectrum. Neither one of these are visible, well, unless you have the right kind of eyes. And um, now, in theory, there's UVC, which is even shorter wavelength light, but that doesn't get to terrestrial Earth. And then we have a measure called the UV index. Anyone in the audience know, okay, don't check your devices, what Seattle's predicted UV index is today? Anyone look? Nobody looked. It's eight. Eight is considered very high. Um, the UV index goes from zero to an infinite number. That infinite number has never been found on terrestrial Earth, but um, it could be very, very high. Uh, and it, Every point on Earth, essentially every day, has a UV index measured and predicted. Uh, and, and actually, this is, this is pretty useful. So just in terms of compar comparative UV indices, um, so um, I'm going to just point here. We've got here Milwaukee, Wisconsin on the left, and Miami, Florida on the right. And you can see that the number of days with exceptionally high UV indices, and here on, the, on the, the other side, is much greater. But even in Milwaukee, you get days of extreme height in the UV index. Um, it's just not as long. Um, if you look climatologically across the United States, um, we've got distinct bands of higher and higher UV index. And I live in North Carolina, which is part of the American South, and it turns out um, we have comparative UV exposure very similar to Northern Africa. And what's my data for this? Okay, I know you guys can't see this, but you can look it up online if you're really curious. Um, this is a 15-year study across the globe of uh, the UV index, the average UV exposure over time. And um, uh, let's see, I can't quite, 
project. Oh, there we go. So um, here's North America. I live in this part, which has comparable UV intensity to um, uh, Northern Africa. What's really important about that is that my ancestors came from very far north here in Europe. And if you find where my ancestors came from, I don't know, you can each find your own ancestry, um, my UV sort of ancestral lands are equivalent to places like Nome, Alaska, or Baffin Island, which is north of, uh, uh, north of Canada proper, you find Baffin Island. Nome is on the northern part of Alaska. Almost nobody lives there. Most people think, oh, my ancestors came from England. You follow it directly across and you get Miami. That's not how the world map works. Um, Miami is a lot closer to the equator. And so, you know, one of the issues here is that um, uh, people have this ancestral pigmentary pattern built very well for uh, being far north of the equator. They go much closer to the equator, and what do you know? We get tons of skin cancer. So just in terms of pure physics, okay, we've got a photon coming into the skin. Each photon um, uh, may or may not hit anything of importance. Longer wavelengths of light penetrate more deeply, that is UVA penetrates all the way to the subcutaneous tissue, but UVB is much more oncogenic. Um, UVB doesn't penetrate very far, but it's highly oncogenic. And then it's just the number of photons. You know, each photon coming into the skin is a quantum probabilistic event. It either hits a target of the DNA and destroys it, modifies it, mutates it, or it just hits garbage. And, you know, if you think back to calculus, it's just a tiny infinitesimal. The odds of any one high-energy photon coming in and hitting the DNA in a critical uh, point are very, very small, but they are non-zero. It turns out if you look at the data, there's no good epidemiologic event, uh, uh, data that causally links sunburns with skin cancer. Now, there's no question that there's an association. But there's a difference between association and causation. Um, and in the same way that people think, okay, I can spend two hours a day outside, unprotected in the sunshine for 60 years, that doesn't do me any harm. But the sunburn I got in 1968 on July 4th, now that was what caused my cancer. Now wait a minute. How much sunshine exposure, how many high energy photons occurred over 20, over 60 years, some uh, two hours a day? I suspect the number's a little bit higher. Um, now, so we're speak, speaking the same language. We've got the sun protection factor, uh, or SPF. This is almost always misunderstood by everybody, aside from those people in regulatory roles. So what is the sun protection factor? thought about in the best possible way, the SPS, SPF is the solar simulator dose to burn with a sunscreen divided by the solar simulator dose to burn without the sunscreen, okay? Notice there's no mention of sun because the sun is not relevant to this. And um, uh, so, first of all, assumptions include a solar simulator. Next, products are applied at two milligrams per centimeter squared body surface area. We'll come back to that. The EMEA in Europe has a different standard of 1.5 milligrams per centimeter squared. That's just as stupid. Um, and then measurements are made 
on naked people in New Jersey on their backs, uh, and it's made with no clothing rubbing, no rubbing of uh, hands, um, no uh, exposure to water, um, uh, although water exposure is measured separately, um, and there's a whole story behind that too. So burns are really uncomfortable. I've been burned, um, uh, and I don't really enjoy being burned, but at the same time, they're not likely to be harmful. Um, in fact, you know, it's fascinating that the nucleus has UV sensing apparatus, and if there's enough UV damage that occurs, the cell kills itself. It undergoes apoptosis and dies. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, there's the mafia story, dead men don't talk. So it's hard to create cancer when cells are dead. However, what happens if you damage the DNA but don't kill off the cell? That damage can be continued and propagated over time. And in animal models, every single animal model ever studied, subarthemogenic doses, that is, below the erythema threshold, create skin cancer. You don't need any. Now, in theory, we could study humans and just expose them over and over and over again for years and years, but that's not considered ethical. But in animals, you don't need any erythema to make cancer. Um, well, what about sunscreens? Um, I'm not talking about in terms of sunburn pr protection because I don't really give a hoot about that. Um, there's actually a very good evidence base suggesting that daily use sunscreens decrease both non-melanoma skin cancers as well as melanomas. So, so what's that data? Um, well, a study published in um, 1993, nearly 20 years ago out of Australia, looked at a cohort of high-risk individuals and looked at them over one sunshine season, that is spring to fall in Australia. And people were randomized to put on sunscreen every day or to put on an ordinary lotion. And neither the investigators nor the subjects knew what they were using, okay? On top of that, there was a secret tracking of the quantity of product people used over that time period. Um, and it turns out that the number of actinic keratoses, which I personally regard as skin cancers, um, you, you can have your own viewpoint. I mean, they don't have all the tickets for invasion and metastasis, but they are cancers. Um, the number of um, skin cancers went down in the treatment group, whereas it did not go down in the, uh, in the uh, group that just used an ordinary lotion. But it's a little better than that. And what was better was there was a dose-response relationship established. That is, um, the greater the number of uh, grams of product used, the fewer the numbers of new actinic keratoses or non-melanoma skin cancers people got. And you know, over this season, um, uh, when people used as much as a kilo, they, the kilo's a lot, they, um, they got the fewest numbers of new cancers. So what people do every day makes a difference. This is not a study of burns. This is a study of one sunny season in Australia. Uh, and it made a huge difference in the number of new growths. 
Now, I mentioned before, you know, what about melanoma? Um, and uh, some of you may have seen this, Adele Green published in 2011. This is my current favorite study to cite. Um, uh, a cute little study, it was also done in Australia, because why Australia? Because they care about skin cancer. Nobody cares in this country. But um, uh, uh, 1,600 folks were uh, uh, randomly chosen from Queensland, Australia, and about 800 were randomized and instructed to put on sunscreen every day in whatever's exposed, and about 800 were randomized to say, okay, put on sunscreen on a discretionary basis when and where you think it's appropriate. Um, and they followed this cohort up for 14 years. So this is a very, very long study. Uh, and here's what happened in terms of melanoma incidence. Um, so um, uh, the bottom blue line is the melanoma incidence in the group that um, put on the sunscreen every day. And the higher line uh, in yellow is the melanoma incidence in people who put it on on a discretionary basis. Overall, there was a decrease in the number of melanomas over this uh, uh, decade and a half by, uh, by about 50%. But it turns out the results are better than this. What gets better than that? Well, in addition to just tracking the number of melanomas, the depth of invasion of melanomas was also tracked. And that is, you know, um, melanoma in situs are really trivial tumors, whereas deeply invasive melanomas are pretty bad for you. And it turns out there was greater than a 70% reduction in the occurrence of thick melanomas in the group of people who use sunscreen every day. Now, if you look at, say, other chemo-preventative studies like um, studies of tamoxifen on breast cancer. They don't give a 70% reduction in bad breast cancers. I'm not saying that it's trivial, but quite honestly, this is one of the most powerful signals that's ever been demonstrated for chemo prevention in the history of medicine. And yet, you know, most people don't do it. So again, the emphasis is on every single day solar protection. But here's the problem with sunscreens. Now, I use sunscreen this morning, and you know, but I'll be the first to admit most people do a lousy job. Um, in a nice study in which folks were handed a sunscreen and instructed to put it on, but it was doped with a fluorescent dye uh, that they could not see, um, people um, put on sunscreen as they thought it was appropriate, and almost all misapplied the product. They missed the necks, temples, and ears. You know, I've had my skin cancer patients say, oh, I do a really good job putting on my sunscreen. I put it on my nose every day. Well, you know, I suspect that's not the only skin that's exposed. Uh, but that's not at all unusual. Um, and really, a particularly damning uh, phenomenon is how little product people use. And in multiple countries, it's been consistently found that people apply 0.5 milligrams of sunscreen per square centimeter. Now, what does that mean? That is a quarter of the recommended dose. Um, well, it turns out 
that uh, the recommended dose, uh, as determined by the FDA, is federal law. That's how manufacturers must measure their product. It's not at their discretion. It's in the uh, it's in the CFR. This is what it says. You know how we must measure. Um, but what's really important is that a product that is labeled SPF 50-50 in the United States, when put on at a quarter of the recommended dose, is an SPF 2.6. Um, so in fact, the relationship between um, what the labeled sunscreen and the actual value is pretty disparate. Um, so an SPF 15 sunscreen applied at 0.5 milligrams per centimeter squared actually delivers an SPF of two. An SPF 100 product delivers a 3.2. These are pretty low numbers. Um, so it really matters what quantity people apply. Um, and most people do an incredibly lousy job at this. One time I was giving a talk, this is a number of years ago, at a, uh, uh, at a, a, a big family medicine meeting and uh, one of the family docs came up to me afterwards and said, you know, you got me thinking, my family and I have been sharing the same bottle of sunscreen for the past several years. I wonder if we've been using enough. Now, I think a little differently, you know, if we go on vacation for a week, we need a v absolute minimum of one bottle of sunscreen per individual. It wouldn't bother me to have more than one bottle per week per individual, and we're talking about the big dosage sizes, not these little dinky bottles. So it really matters how much quantity people use, because it turns out, uh, there's data demonstrating this, that there is an exponential relationship between the dose and the effect. It's not a linear relationship. I use half as much, I get half the benefit. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's, it's exponential function. And people don't let it soak in. Um, you know, uh, I have the privilege being a faculty member of a medical school. We have a law campus. We have an undergrad campus. I belong to um, something called the Grayland Pool. You have to be a faculty member of the university to belong to this pool. It's really a nice pool. I hate the pool. I don't ever go. But anyway, so, um, uh, uh, but when my kids are little, I used to go. And I saw this repeatedly. You know, everybody in that goes to this pool has a a family member that has a PhD, an MD, a JD, or something equivalent to that. And you know, you see them smear sunscreen on little Johnny, and Johnny immediately jumps in the pool. There is no better way to remove unwanted product. Um, it takes 15 to 30 minutes for products to soak in, but I'm thrilled people immediately wash it off. That's great for the future of dermatology. And um, uh, uh, just an interesting phenomenon. Um, so what about sunscreen products and actual photoprotectiveness in the sunshine? Now, this is a wild concept. A study that actually looked at sunscreen products in actual sunshine. That's what your, all your patients think that uh, those numbers refer to. And it turns out every single product was mislabeled. When they were actually applied correctly, not like your patients do, 
but correctly, not one product achieved its labeled level of protection. Because solar simulator light, which is what they must be tested with, is not the same as natural sunlight. Oh, what a concept. And the difference was even greater as you left noontime. So if you go right at noontime, um, the measures are most accurate. But as you go further and further away from noontime, they become less and less accurate to the point where the true value can be as little as 50% of the labeled value. So that's in, uh, when even applied correctly. So uh, again, these products are not labeled with regard to actual sunshine, but with regard to solar simulators. Now what about vitamin D? I've got patients that tell me, you know, my family doc tells me that I need to get 30 minutes of unprotected sunshine exposure every day. And this is despite the fact that they've had five basal cell carcinomas hacked off their forehead and nose. They're not at any risk. Um, so now what is the data? You know, what about using sunscreens? Uh, and you know, what, what data is there? Well, in a randomized controlled trial, what do you think? Science, you know, does that have any value? No, no, no. So in a randomized controlled trial done over the course of a summer season, again in Australia, um, uh, folks who either used sunscreen or didn't use sunscreen made no difference in their vitamin D levels. No difference at all. There's really no data. Um, and one of my favorite studies, now this is an interesting study, um, uh, and it comes from the endocrinology literature, not from the dermatology literature, and it was done um, in two places, a convenience sample at the University of Hawaii and the Aala Park board shop. This is a skateboard shop frequented by young adults. There aren't too many 80-year-olds who use skateboards uh, and go regularly go to the shop. And so this is in Hawaiian sunshine, not in Seattle. Um, and what about their vitamin D levels? Well, um, first of all, just 40% of uh, these uh, uh, folks in the sample at the University of Hawaii in the Aala Park board shop use no sunscreen at all. Um, but the long and the short of it is that these folks averaged about 30 to 40 hours per week of sunshine exposure in the Hawaiian sun. Okay, not in Seattle sun, but 30 plus hours outside. And what about their vitamin D levels? By our current criteria, one third were vitamin D deficient. One third of folks getting, you know, 30 hours plus in the Hawaiian sunshine were vitamin D deficient. And that gives me pause for thought. When I hear of a patient who tells me, you know, my internist says I need to spend 10 minutes with my hands and face exposed to the sun, unprotected every day from the sunshine, where's the evidence base for that? Where did that come from? There's no data supporting that. You show me the data. I'm pretty data-driven. So, um, and there's no data suggesting that sunscreen use decreases vitamin D levels. Now it probably does, but there's no really good data about it. Um, well, so I'm not a sunscreen basher. I used it this morning. Um, but the fact is sunscreen is not the only thing we need to think about doing in terms of solar protection. There's hats, 
hats with a brim, not a ball cap with bill facing backward. Clothes, clothes are very attractive. And behavior, what we do, what do I mean by this? You know, a neat study that was done long ago looked at the value of an Australian farm hat, you know, like my Tilly hat. I'm a big fan of Tilly hats. And um, uh, the average uh, sun protection value for these was varied on the face between two and six. You say, well, I get 50 out of a bottle. No, you don't. You don't get 50 out of a bottle unless you're putting it on slopping thick. So, you know, one way of describing slop and thick is, you know, like um, uh, the icing you put on a cake. That, you know, that's how you get great sunshine protection. Um, so, so, a hat does a lot. Now, speaking of hats, okay, let me guide you through a little keratinocyte, melanocyte biology just for fun. On the left side is a diagram of what the melanocytes do and how they interact with the keratinocytes. Um, I'll just demonstrate up here. This is up towards the top is the surface of the skin. So these little tiny, little tendrils come out and they release, you know, this, this little um, compartment and these little melanosomes come out and they sort of aggregate over the nucleus, okay? So the melanosomes, the little pigment granules, if you want to call them that, um, form a little cap over the nucleus. And you can actually see this in a, in a photomicrograph of the skin. Even our keratinocytes know they need hats. We may not be that smart, but our keratinocytes put all of their melanosomes between them and the outside world. Aren't they smarter than we are? And clothing is really a critical phenomenon. So if we, you know, we get people undressed in front of us all the time, and you see these folks who've spent a lifetime out in the sunshine, and their face is a mess, and their neck is a mess, and their arms are a mess, but underneath their shirt area, the skin is pristine. Underneath their double-covered areas, like their bra, panty, underwear areas, the skin is fantastic. And yes, I have had the occasion of removing skin cancers, say, in the intergluteal cleft, you know, in the you know, pubic area, but that's really uncommon. You know, when we think about it, um, those things occur, but not very commonly. Uh, skin cancers there are very rare. So the physical blockade from clothing is at least as important, if not more important, than anything that comes out of a bottle. Hats are more important. Um, now, I don't know what race is. If you know what race is, you let me know. And I don't actually think there is such a thing as two races, four races, 12 races. You, you do whatever. But, um, you know, African ancestry, whatever that means. So, um, uh, uh, thus far in my career of two and a half decades, I've removed about 8,000 skin cancers in those of European ancestry, and it's now 10. I keep track. So it's now 10 in those of African ancestry. So uh, in the next year, I'm gonna have to start using my toes. So, but you know, thus far it's been hands. Um, people with, with African ancestry skin look young, younger than their real age, um, but it turns out, okay, so there's not one such thing as African ancestry, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bizarre mix of things. 
But um, let's say, uh, and there's a, a reference I have, that they maintain an SPF equivalent of about four in the skin over lifetime, four. It's not 26, it's about four, which means that you expect as much UV damage in about 280 years in a darkly pigmented individual as you'd expect in about 70 years in someone of you know, Irish or English ancestry you know, with no constitutive pigmentation. Now, not many of us are going to make it to 280 years. Not many of us are gonna make it to 120 years. A true SPF of two in your skin for life is amazing photoprotection. Mean age of skin cancer in the United States is 66. If you could effectively double that, skin cancer would go away. Now, what about photoprotection from tanning? There's no question that tans afford photoprotection. In the one and only one study that I found, um, there was uh, a demonstrated effect of an SPF equivalent of about three in the skin that could be demonstrated following uh, sort of uh, 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 tanning-induced um, tanning uh, 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 exposure. So the issue there is not that tanning does uh, 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 no protection for the skin. Of course it offers protection to the skin. But the problem is that say you have the SPF equivalent of three in your skin, that means one out of every three bad photons gets in, two out of three is blocked. Does that one out of three photon, photon, sorry, I can't speak, has a zero probability of hitting DNA in a critical site? Nope, it has a, you know, it's just reduced by two thirds, but not down to zero. And a lot of people, they get their base tan, so they say, I can't burn anymore, therefore I'm doing no damage. That's great for the future of dermatology. <laughs> These people help us out tremendously. And then there are risk behaviors. Okay, so, you know, um, on public health sciences, there's what's called health behavior, health education. But health behavior, what people do, makes a difference. Just the plain seeking of a tan. Um, people still avidly seek tans. Many of my patients, including some who have had skin cancers, say, but I have to get a little color in my skin. Why? <laughs> Why? You know, God gave us a certain color, that's the right color for us. But they don't see it that way. Um, doing outdoor activities around peak UV exposure times. You know, um, right around the noon hours, you get the absolute peak. Um, there's one of my patients who's had skin cancer. He is a red-headed guy, fair, fair, fair skin. He runs at noontime every day in the sun in North Carolina. In, our, in the summer, we have UV indices typically of nine or 10 every single day, which is very high. Now, should he be running at noon? And I'm not saying I'm against running, I'm not. Um, but you know, I finish my exercise activity by six in the morning, so I'm kind of weird. But uh, 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 so avoiding activities outside around noontime, avoiding the shade. Um, you know, people uh, 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 deliberately seek out the sunshine. One of my skin cancer patients lived quite a while in Africa, and it was in northern Africa, and the joke amongst the Africans was the Europeans walk on the sunny side of the street. Well, you know, the, the, the Africans, they're smarter than the Europeans because they walk on the shady side of the street. But people actually avoid the shade because, after all, the sun feels good.
And then holidays centered around UV intensive activities. Um, so where I live in the southeast United States, there's some kind of a state law. Everybody has to go spend at least a week at the beach every year. Now, why? I, I don't quite get it. Well, indeed, that's going to happen to me too. My extended family has rented a beach house and, and I will join them, although I'm not gonna spend a lot of time outside. I really hate the beach. Uh, but uh, there'll be high-speed internet access. I'll get two articles written. It won't be a problem. So, uh, 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 but you know, the idea of arranging your social life um, to deliberately seek out UV um, exploitation is amazing. And we don't do it quite as much in the United States as some other uh, folks do it. You know, if you go around the world, people in France say, I can't wait to take off my month of vacation and spend it in Thailand at Phuket. Uh, you know, a month of beach activity. Not a day, not a week, but a month. So, um, you know, I think these behaviors all are critical in the genesis of skin cancer. In an NHANES study, NHANES is this huge study, and this is where we get normative weights and heights. You've seen, you know, kiddos get put on a scale and, you know, where their height and head size, all well, all this stuff comes from NHANES. Um, it's from the government. And there was a study. Um, uh, now, it showed, and this is somewhat not in agreement with some of the other randomized control trials. This is just observational that showed that sunscreen did not decrease skin cancers, but seeking shade, long sleeve uh, clothing, and hats were effective. Now the problem is, of course, this is just a snapshot at one point in life, not an intervention study, but it's quite likely that people who've been at high risk started these responsible behaviors in the sun and changed what they did. Well, what about tanning beds? You know, I'm absolutely thrilled we have tanning beds. Um, th this is just, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, uh, where I practice, there are four tanning facilities within one mile of where I see patients, which is great. And, you know, these uh, units operate 365 days a year. In the American South, where I lived, it used to be people would get sunshine from May through October. Now there's a place in my hometown that advertises that it's open Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. Because you can't go Thanksgiving without getting your tan. That's just absurd to imagine that would be the case. Uh, the other interesting thing is that, okay, so if you go to places like France, and there are lots of other places in the world, People do nude sunbathing, topless sunbathing is universal. It hasn't quite broken into the American market, but um, if you ask your patients who patronize these facilities, a lot of people don't use a lot of protection in terms of clothing in them, because after all, you wouldn't want to have a tan line, and there's no modesty issues. Um, one of the things that I use uh, as an argument with my patients is uh, coming to our rescue three years ago in 2009, the World Health Organization classified tanning bed light as a known carcinogen. They put it in the same risk category as cigarettes, as radium, which is radioactive. There is no question that it's oncogenic, absolutely no question. Um, so does it tan people? Of course it tans people. So, um, uh, but um, uh, what about these tanning beds? Here's an interesting thing. 
a study from 2009 in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, the density of indoor tanning facilities in 116 large US cities. Uh, okay, so Seattle is the home of Starbucks, right? And you know, within a couple of blocks of here, I noticed there's a Starbucks facility. Uh, so, um, well, it turns out, if you look at the density of tanning facilities in these cities, there's greater tanning facility density than Starbucks or McDonald's density. Actually, substantially more, a good 50% more than Starbucks's. Um, so, isn't this great? Uh, th this is wonderful. Uh, just about everywhere in the world I've ever been, I've gone into the telephone book or the electronic equivalent of the same, and you can find tanning facilities. You can go to the equator at places like Singapore and find tanning facilities. Unbelievable. Uh, so you can go to you know, Miami Beach and find tanning facilities. Um, just amazing. So these are universal. and help the future of dermatology. There are those of us who enjoy cutting out skin cancers. I do, I think it's great, um, but these things are not safe. Uh, they're no safer than natural sunshine, and natural sunshine is oncogenic. Um, virtually all of the aging changes we see in the skin are sun-induced. Now, I'm not talking about gravity effects like chin sagging down or, you know, earlobes drooping down. I'm talking about light spots, dark spots, you know, wrinkling, you know, the lentigines, all of what we associate with age are UV-induced. Um, and uh, uh, UVA is particularly effective at destroying collagen and elastin. This cartoon says, wrinkled was not one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up. In fact, you know, um, it, for young kiddos, uh, teens and like, I don't talk with them ever about skin cancer because um, an 18-year-old knows nobody with skin cancer. Well, um, you know, maybe their parents or grandparents, but they have no association. Actually, my daughter Rebecca is 15, and a few weeks ago she put me in my place. She said, 30 is old, and Dad, you're really old. Okay, so... So a 15-year-old can't ever perceive that they're going to get skin cancer, but they might have this possibility of perceiving that uh, wrinkling and light spots and dark spots can be associated with sunshine. And um, uh, that's what 18-year-olds are going to be. They're going to be, when they grow up, wrinkled. Um, that's preventable, but they need to take steps. Now here's my practical summary. Well. Number one, hats and protective clothing really work. We have a culture where people don't wear long sleeves and don't wear hats. Um, I'm talking about broad-brimmed hats. And yet, that's actually achievable. Um, sadly, I've only achieved it in folks that um, uh, are people like me, paranoid about the sunshine. But you know, changing the culture in that respect, being an advocate not just of sunscreens, but physical blockade is really important. And I am a huge fan of sunscreen products. All of the products are mislabeled. Uh, all of the products are much less effective uh, than people think they are, and yet they do something. There's a very good evidence base suggesting that they decrease the use of skin cancer when they're used every day. 
not just on your nose when you go out golfing, but every day. Um, uh, some people come to me and say, you know, uh, every year when I go to Myrtle Beach, I protect myself from the sunshine. But the other 51 weeks of the year, they do nothing because there's no damage those 51 other weeks of the year. I'm not sure I believe them. Now, just a, a cultural phenomenon. So who of you recognizes this painting? Okay. Who, who painted it? Any idea? Oh, excellent. Excellent. I've shown this to a lot of people. Most don't know. It's Surat. And now, this is not a photograph, uh, but this is stylized French culture of about 130 years ago. And in this painting, this is a Pantelisme technique, the little tiny pixelated dots of painting. It's beautiful. Um, uh, there are the majority of people have on uh, uh, long sleeves or something a little bit like that. There's someone in here that has on very short sleeves. Um, there are women with parasols. People don't have low plunging necklines. Hats are nearly universal. Uh, and isn't this interesting? This was French culture of 130 years ago. Um, I took a, a trip to Vietnam a few years ago with, uh, did this lecture tour of Vietnam, and this was a photo I took of an outdoor worker in Vietnam. Now, take it, this is July in Vietnam. July in Vietnam is hot as the dickens, and there's 100% humidity on the water. This is not a cool place, and yet, this woman has on a broad-brimmed hat, long-sleeve ao jai, and gloves. This is what she wears every day. People in my part of the world say, it's too hot to wear long sleeves in the summer. They're wrong. The hottest places in the world I've ever been, to the Middle East and to Southeast Asia, people wear the most clothes. And you know, um, I have a trip planned to the, to the Middle East uh, in, a, in a few months. Um, you know, it gets to be 145 degrees Fahrenheit on the Arabian Peninsula, and yet people wear long sleeves. You can't tell me that 85 degrees is too hot to wear long sleeves. You just don't want to wear long sleeves, and that's fine with me. Um, uh, but I can't wear a broad brim hat. Okay. Uh, and then just another painting. Any, anyone, anyone know who did this? This is Manet, this is Manet. Well, anyway, this is boating, 1874 in France, and, you know, long sleeve hats, they're under the shade. Um, and one of the reasons for this is a cultural phenomenon that has changed. So, if we go back in history, um, uh, the aristocracy um, could live indoors and protect themselves from the sunshine whereas all of the lower class losers had to be outside working in the fields. So it was a sign of wealth and privilege to have perfect protected skin. It was a sign of being a loser in society to be outdoors and have to get a tan. And then with the Industrial Revolution, things changed, where all of the losers had to work indoors in factories 12, 15 hours a day, and the aristocracy said, well, what are we doing indoors? You know, we're looking like these pasty people who, you know, work in the, in the coal mines. So they got outdoors, and uh, the whole culture changed. Um, a more recent boating look. You know, this is a change in culture, but this change in culture guarantees skin cancer. 
on the beach of Bologna in 1869 versus I had to struggle to find a family-friendly photograph from a French beach. This is as family-friendly as they get. Do you think there might be an increased uh, risk of skin cancer with this behavior versus the other behavior? Um, yes, indeed. That was beach-going attire of a century and a half ago. Now, we can't believe this ever happened, but yes, it did. So, it says here, tan beautifully without burning. Um, most people still believe that if you burn, you do damage to the skin. But as long as you don't burn, you're great. But I'll tell you, every high-energy photon coming to the skin causes damage. Um, it's guaranteed to cause damage. Uh, uh, and there's a lot we can do to educate our patients to prevent them from inevitably getting skin cancer. Um, skin cancer, you know, uh, is not a rare phenomenon. I showed you that there are more skin cancers than all other forms of cancer combined. Now, it's not as important as breast cancer and other stuff. But, you know, my wife got a lot more serious about, uh, about uh, wearing uh, uh, photoprotective gear when, oh, by the way, she had her first skin cancer. It's amazing what your first skin cancer does to your perception of how much risk you're under. Um, we're all at risk, even the darkest people, but the fairer your skin is, the greater the risk. On that note, thanks so much for your kind attention. I'll see you a bit later. Uh, uh, and if you have any questions, I'll, I'll take them in back but I thank you for listening.